All right. Well, it's such a privilege to speak with you today. Um, as I was praying about uh, what the Lord would have me uh, share, our passages in Acts, uh, but I thought maybe I would first, uh, as a way of background, uh, talk a little bit about another um, one of God's prophets, one of his people, who he sent to the Gentiles. So if you uh, would allow me a few moments, I would like to start in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't want to read it all. It is four chapters, but I want to uh, hit on a few verses just as a way of introduction. So the setting of Jonah, um, it was about 700 years roughly uh, before the time of Christ. And there was uh, an empire, actually the most powerful empire in the region at that time, known as the Assyrian Empire. And they had a capital city called Nineveh. And so one day the Lord came to Jonah and he said to him, Arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah was one of his prophets in Israel. And he said, Arise and go to Nineveh, this great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So this was a, a city that was evil. They were actually quite well known for, for their evil. They, they weren't a, a godly people at all. And so he, uh, he went to his, his uh, prophet Jonah said, I want you to go to them and tell them what's going to happen. Warn them. But Jonah rose, in the next verse, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and he went into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So that's kind of a bold move uh, from Jonah. Uh, so as, as the story goes on, I'll, I'll, I'll skip over some of the verses, but just kind of talk about what happened. So Jonah gets on this ship going to Tarshish, uh, away from the people. Actually, uh, what was it, about, I'm thinking in miles, 2,500 miles from where he was at, roughly. Somewhere near southern Spain, maybe near Gibraltar. They're not exactly sure where it was. But he was heading in that direction, direction um, when he should have been going the other direction, about 500 miles, 800 kilometers, um, roughly. So he gets on this boat and he's going uh, in that direction, but the Lord sends uh, a wind, he sends waves, he sends a storm, and the people on this ship, they're looking at this and they're, they're like certain, okay, somebody did something to anger their gods, right? So they're all praying to their gods. Who did it? They're trying to figure it out. They can't, can't figure out who did it. So, uh, so eventually, they figure out, okay, here's Jonah. What's he doing down there sleeping? He, was, he decided to take a nap. So they go down there and wake him up and say, what are you doing? Come up and pray to your God. You know, and, and maybe this storm will stop. Maybe we'll survive. Um, so he comes up, and, uh, and then he says, well, you know, they're, they're trying to figure it out. And he's like, well, just throw me overboard, and the storm will stop, right, to shorten the story. So they don't want to, right? They're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. But eventually they decide, okay, we have, we have to do this, right? Because Jonah knew, okay, this is God. I, I'm disobeying him, intentionally going the wrong way. So uh, he gets thrown overboard, um, and then the storm calms in, you know, in that moment. And so the people on the ship are, are amazed, and they, they worship God for this. It's, it's incredible to them that, they, that God did this. They see his power but Jonah, he's sinking, and he's sinking down to the depths. And, uh, and eventually, he cries out to God, and God sends a fish 
a great fish that swallowed him. And then for three days, Jonah rode in the belly of the, the fish. And then eventually, he was spit out on the shore. And then again, God directs him to go to Tarshish. And this time, Jonah obeys, and he goes. So he gets to Tarshish after, after his long, not Tarshish, sorry, Nineveh, after his long journey. So he gets there, and it was a massive city. He, he walked for one day into the city before he even started giving God's message. And it took him three days to get across the city. So it was a very large city. Uh, but this was his message. It was, in 40 days, God's going to judge you. Right? He's going to overthrow you in 40 days. So this was his, his message. Quite a, quite a simple message, straight to the point um, message of his. So he goes and he, he gives this message. And uh, what happens is quite amazing because the king of Nineveh, he hears the message and he orders all the people put on sackcloth and he covered himself in sackcloth and he sits in ashes and then he issued a proclamation and he said, "Um, this is my decree to all the nobles, men uh, or beasts or herd or flock, nobody should eat anything or taste anything or drink anything. Um, Let everybody be covered with sackcloth. And call out mightily to God. Uh, Let us everyone turn from his evil way and the violence of our hands. Who knows, maybe God will turn. Uh, Maybe he will turn and relent from bringing this disaster on us. So this is what the king does. And meanwhile, Jonah, after after this message is received, he leaves the city and goes out and uh, away from the city and sits down where he can see the city and watch to see what happens and as he's sitting out there, the story goes that the, the sun started to beat down on his head and he was, he was very uncomfortable. And uh, so then God sent a, a little plant to grow up over him and it gave him some shade and he was really happy because of the plant. And then, uh, and then God sent a worm and it, it ate the plant, right? It chewed at it and the plant died and withered. And then Jonah is there and he was greatly displeased by this. And he prayed and said... Uh, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was in my country? Uh, That is why I wanted to flee to Tarshish, because I knew you're gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you relent from disaster. And therefore, O Lord, please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. So, interesting uh, attitude from the prophet here. Um, See, he had, a, he had a prejudice toward the people of Nineveh, but I think toward the Assyrians in general. He was concerned for the safety of his own people. Also, he knew that they were pagan, uh, a pagan people, and he was afraid that they were going to come and, and probably bring paganism into Israel again. There was already a problem with that in Israel. So he was, qu- he was quite angry about this, and then God came and spoke to him. And he said, uh, Jonah... Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well. I'm angry enough to die. And then God said, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished at night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So God is trying to reason with Jonah and say, listen, you know, you're pitying this plant, but here are all these people, you know, 120,000 who have no knowledge of me, 
right? Whether they were children or not, there's a bit of a debate about were these children or were they just people who just didn't have knowledge of God? In any case, it's a huge amount of people. And God took pity on them. And uh, it's amazing to me how the Lord brought them to repentance through, through this message, through this unwilling prophet who, who went there and basically just spoke to them, said, you're going to be judged. But God moved in this people and brought them to repentance. And I, want, I wanted to, today to contrast that a bit with the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul wasn't going to Nineveh, but he was going to, to a people um, in Jerusalem. He was going to be standing before a people who were very hard-hearted and rejecting the truth of God. In fact, in Matthew uh, chapter 12, verse 40, let me, let me turn there a minute, because Jesus addresses uh, the Jewish people um, in Matthew chapter 12. And this is what he says to them. For as Jonah was three days in the belly, three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. All right. So the Lord spoke to them and he said, There's there's a problem in Israel. There was a problem. With, especially with the leadership of Israel, um, those who should have been leading them into worship of God. There was a problem there. And the problem was that they had rejected Christ when he was here. They actively rejected him. They were actively opposed to him and, and continuously making false accusations against him and trying to uh, slander him. Uh, and so Paul, Paul is going to them. It's, it's probably another generation that he's going to. But we, this sort of thing was still going on um, among them. And so Paul goes there to speak with them. All right. And so I'd, I'd like now, now to look at Acts uh, chapter 22 and starting in verse 21. And he said, and this, this is Paul, and he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So this is kind of the ending of the last chapter. If we, if we remember back to last week, uh, Paul had come there to, to meet with the church to try to encourage them to bring them a gift. And they said, hey, would, would you please go to the temple? Because they're hearing all these things about you, how you're rejecting the law of Moses, how you're speaking against the people, how you're doing all these things. Would you just please go there? So, so Paul... He went there, and, uh, and at, when he did that, there was a great disturbance um, that was taking place, and they, they, and they were very upset because they thought he brought a Gentile into the inner court of the temple. And, uh, and then he was able to calm them by, by speaking to them in Aramaic, speaking to them in their language, and then he, he began to try to, uh, to explain to them you know, the gospel and tell them, what was going on. And they listened to him up until this point when he said, uh, when Jesus had told him, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And at this point, they lost it, right? The last time I, w- I had the privilege to speak to you, we were talking about the city of Ephesus and uh, Demetrius the silversmith and the riot that took place there and how for two hours they were screaming out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, right? They had such passion uh, for their deity there. And they were very upset, and some of it was financial as well. But they were very upset. And now we see here, 
uh, a situation that's about to turn in that, that direction as well. Um, and this time it's before the Jews. Okay. Chapter, uh, in verse 22, up to this word they listened to him, and then they raised their voices, and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So they got furious with him. They said, this guy shouldn't even be allowed to live away with him because he said he was going to the Gentiles. They're probably also still thinking that he brought a Gentile into the inner courts, right, and made it unclean. Um, but they're just, just furious. And I can't help but think that maybe they had the same heart issue that Jonah had, right, that they had an issue where they didn't, they didn't look at the Gentiles as a people that God loved. They didn't look at unbelievers that were outside of Judaism as people that, that God loved. Instead, they looked at them, these are people that deserve God's judgment. And maybe they would be happy if God would judge them, right? The Israelites, they, they wanted Rome out of there. They had been under Rome for over 100 years at this point, under the authority of Rome. Uh, Roman soldiers were right there, right? They were, they were overlooking the Temple Mount. They had, had a barracks there. And, uh, and that would bring along with it all of the things that the Romans did. You know, there was pagan worship. I'm not sure how openly they would dare to do that in, in front of the Jews because sometimes the Jews could, could be quite violent, but uh, in, at least some of them in there. Um, but they, they brought in paganism. They, they were making things unclean um, in the minds of the Jews, and they, just, they wanted the Messiah to overthrow them, right? That was one of the problems they had with Jesus. It was when he came, he wasn't telling them, I'm going to overthrow Rome, which is what they wanted. Uh, he was talking to them about a, a change that needed to take place in their heart, a repentance that needed to take place, a forgiveness of their sins that needed to take place, and they weren't recognizing that need, um, which is interesting comparing that to the, to the people of Nineveh. Uh, when they heard a message of judgment, there was repentance. So Jesus had, had spoken to them about that. You know, the people of Nineveh had a different re- response so they raised up uh, their voices and they said, away with this fellow, he shouldn't be allowed to live. Um, you know, the power of a testimony is, is quite amazing. It's, it's one of those things that when we share it with people, um, it, it's difficult to argue, right? Because it's their, their experience. Paul had been sharing his testimony with them um, up to this point. And so it would be hard to argue and say, Paul, God didn't tell you to go to the Gentiles. Paul, Paul is saying that he did. But their response was, Paul, you know, they, they, I mean, they, were, they were very angry about the whole Gentile idea. So they, they did get that response. And I think sometimes when we, we share our testimonies, we can't have a, a very negative response. But that's not, that's not bad. Um, if we look back at Paul, um, when, uh, when he was standing uh, in this very same situation when Stephen was preaching, uh, to them and sharing his testimony uh, about the Lord. Uh, we saw that uh, there, were, there was fury at him as well because he had talked to them about how stiff-necked they were, how they, how they wouldn't repent. And uh, so they end up, uh, Paul giving his approval, they end up uh, stoning Stephen and putting their, their cloaks at his feet. And he was giving his approval to that. You know, so Stephen's testimony, I believe, though, in, in my heart, that I, I believe that that worked in Paul. 
I believe that there was something about Stephen's testimony because when we see Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, we see uh, the, the Lord is talking to him and says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. The Lord was working in his life. And I think part of that is the t- testimony of righteous people. You know, Paul was going around throwing people in prison. He was going around, uh, you know, doing all these things to the believers. And I think they were having a testimony to him. They were having an impact in his life. In verse 23, the people were shouting, right? As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. All right, I just wanted to pause there for a minute. So we see uh, this commotion going on. I'm, I'm trying to picture this because it's quite a spectacle. I don't know if any of you have been around a place where a riot was taking place. Um, I've, I've been around demonstrations. I would say maybe one time I was near a riot. But I didn't stay for very long because it didn't seem like a good idea. Right? People were starting to tear down signs and break stuff and trying to turn over cars. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think I need to leave. And that was in Michigan, where I'm from, in the U.S. <laughs> College campus. So oh well. Stuff was going on there. And, uh, but when I look at this, I think, wow, look at this. Shouting and screaming, right? I mean, when people get angry and they don't want to hear what you have to say anymore, I mean, that, that's kind of a go-to um, response. So they're shouting, they're screaming, uh, you know, out so that they can't hear them. They're throwing off their cloaks. They were preparing, right? To throw off your cloak, to set it, you know, to toss it aside like they did at the stoning of Stephen, it's so that you can move. I mean, they were getting ready, they were getting ready to do something. Um, I think if they could have gotten at Paul at this point, they would have dragged him outside of the temple and stoned him as well. Um, but that didn't take place. Also, flinging dust into the air. I don't know what the significance of that is. Maybe they couldn't uh, find rocks. Maybe that was what they were doing. Maybe it was like, um, um, you know, just saying, okay, this is like your words. They're just throwing it in the air. I don't know. But it's definitely a sign that they were displeased in any case. All right, in verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting at him like this. Okay, so the... The fortress, the Roman fortress was right there. And there was actually easy access up and down from the fortress to the Temple Mount. It was originally built by Herod. In fact, that's why it was called uh, Antonio Fortress or Antonia Fortress. Uh, So Marcus uh, Anthony, or Mark Anthony, uh, he was a good friend and confidant of Herod the Great. Um, It's a little surprising that he named it this. So maybe he built it before uh, Marcus was defeated. But uh, he had this fortress built there in order to, to oversee the temple. Um, and so that's, there was a barracks of the Roman soldiers there. So they decided, you know, we need to take Paul where he's safe back into this barracks and find out what's going on. Find out why are the people so upset with him. Obviously, he's done something, right? I'm sure that's what's happening in their minds. Um, this hopefully wasn't an everyday occurrence. So, that, so they're very upset, and they're going to examine him by flogging. Uh, so the flogging, n- not a pleasant experience. This uh, flog or whip, um, it, it's uh, quite a dangerous tool. It was actually uh, consisted of at least three leather straps 
uh, sometimes more. And embedded within the straps, they usually had pieces of metal or glass, things that were really hard and sharp. It was weighted. Uh, and when they would swing it, it would embed into the skin, and then they would pull it. So that the idea was that it would tear at, at the body and at the skin. And uh, probably the reason why Jesus, because he was also flogged uh, with one of these before he was crucified, and probably one of the reasons why he was so weak that he couldn't carry his own cross was because of the flogging. Very often, people didn't survive this, this experience. It, it was a terrible thing uh, to be flogged like this. So they called him in to do that, um, to give him a flogging, and find out why are they shouting at him like this. All right. In verse 25, But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flag a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? So he asked him the question, Is this lawful? Do you know what you're doing? Is, is it lawful to do this? And uh, it seems that Paul hadn't mentioned his Roman citizenship up to this point, um, you know, because they had already grabbed him and taken him. He could have, at the beginning, I suppose, if he wanted to, he could have said, hey, you know, I'm a Roman citizen and these Jews are trying to hurt me, you know, protect me from them. Um, it would have been a possibility. But Paul, I believe, uh, we, we see throughout the book of Acts, he likes to take every opportunity that he has uh, to talk about the Lord and to explain the gospel to people. Um, and he was taking this opportunity because there were believers who had to face the Jews every day um, and had to experience, they knew what this, this sort of persecution was like. Um, and I believe that Paul wanted to take this opportunity to explain better to them that God is working among the Gentiles as well. Um, he doesn't get the chance right here, but it seems to me every time I see Paul, we, we saw it also in Athens, he's like, let me go in there and speak to him, and all, everybody's saying no. They're, they're holding them back. They're sending people. Don't go in there. They're all telling them that um, because Paul had a heart for telling people about the Lord, and he was, he was always putting himself into these situations. Um, I would like to, to look at a few verses uh, that talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'd like to turn over there a moment. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. Oh, I got the wrong reference. Just a minute. I can't find my reference. So, Paul, I can, I can do it from memory. I just tell you what happened. So, Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthians, there was a lot of questioning um, and challenge about his authority at times. And so, Paul, when he was talking to them, 
he actually goes through a list of things that he had experienced. And one of the things is he talked about being flogged. And he had been flogged multiple times by the Jews. And it was, they call it 40 minus 1, uh, meaning he was flogged 39 times. He was lashed 39 times. And he experienced that at their hands. Um, he also was stoned. And he also was shipwrecked three times. So he experienced all of this. And it appears, it appears to me that Paul didn't claim his Roman citizenship because if, if, I'm, if I'm correct... Uh, he would have had opportunity to try to avoid this suffering, right? And the reason why they, they called it 40 minus 1 is they had a law. They said if you, if you do it 40 times, he could die from that, right? A person could die from that. So they decided, okay, we're going to uh, say you can't do it more than 39 times because it was such a dangerous thing to experience. But Paul uh, experienced that numerous times. But in this instance is the first time we, that we see him in Scripture, at least, um, try, to, try to avoid it. He, he gives his Roman citizenship as, as a reason for that. So, they weren't allowed to. He asked them, are you allowed to do this? Are you allowed to, to flog a Roman citizen who's uncondemned? And the answer would be no to that. Um, they're not allowed to do that. So, the centurion in verse 26 He heard this, and he went to the tribune, and he said to him, What are you about to do for this man as a Roman citizen? So Paul was protected by law from being tortured, both to exact information from him, but he was also protected from being punished without first, first having a trial. So they couldn't torture him to get information to find out why are these people, you know, screaming and yelling at you. But he also couldn't be tortured without a trial. So even if they had some kind of information and they decided they wanted to punish him, they couldn't do it without a formal trial. Um, So there was some value in in having his Roman citizenship. And uh, we know that Paul said that when I'm with the Jews, and this was his typical uh, way of doing things, when he's with the Jews, he's a Jew. He lives as a Jew. Uh, And when he's with the Greeks, he lives as a Greek. But in this case... Uh, he made an exception. All right, so the tribune came and, and said to him, no, when the centurion heard this, sorry, verse 26, um, he said, what are you about to do this man as a Roman citizen? And then in verse uh, 27, so the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. So Paul was telling him, I think probably Paul uh, didn't like to advertise the fact that he was a Roman citizen often when he was speaking with the Jews. I'm not sure that would have furthered um, his, his efforts to reach them with the gospel. Um, ba- baked into their culture um, was such a strong resentment toward Rome and such a strong feeling against paganism. They had finally learned their lesson on paganism after their, their time in Babylon. Uh, so when they returned to Israel, uh, many of the laws that we see in the New Testament, uh, um, not just relating to idol worship, but many of the laws that the Pharisees were fo- following, they were building more and more layers to, to get them as far away from the possibility of committing some sort of sin that would bring God's judgment on them as they could, to the point where they were creating new laws that God had never given them in the Word. 
And, and that became a conflict between them and Jesus because they were accusing him of breaking laws that, that weren't laws of God. They were just rules of men. And, uh, and so that was becoming a conflict for them. Uh, so we see Paul in general. Um, you know, he lived as a Jew, and he tries to reach the Jews as a Jewish person, as uh, someone who God sent. Um, he always went to the Jews first as well when he was traveling to the various cities. Um, his, his typical uh, operating procedure, again, was, was to go and speak with them first. Um, and then if they rejected him, uh, then he would turn to the Gentiles as well. So tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said yes. So he's, he's speaking to them, um, to the Romans, and, and telling them, yeah, it's true, I'm a Roman citizen. So the tribune, in verse 28, he answered and he said, I bought my citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So there were different ways you could receive your citizenship in Rome. Um, one of them was, was by buying it. Another one was by being born into it. Uh, there was another one where you could uh, serve in the military, 25 years of service. And then after that, you could possibly become a Roman citizen. Um, the possibility of adoption, um, being adopted into a Roman family and be given full rights as, as a citizen. Um, so there were a few different ways. Uh, Paul's way was the best. <laughs> Paul's way was the best. He was born as, as a citizen of Rome. And, uh, and so he, he said that. And when he said that, uh, those who were, about, who were about to examine him withdrew immediately from him. And the tribune was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Even binding him, even binding him was against Roman law. He, he was breaking a law there. So they could have been severely punished as well for doing this. You could imagine what the punishment would be if you killed a Roman citizen without trial. Um, it would be life for life. They, they, they could have been paid with their life. It was, a, it was a really serious matter. So Paul, I'm not, I don't think he was afraid to die. I, I, I don't think he was anxious to die at this moment either. But uh, in just telling them he was a Roman citizen, he possibly saved them uh, from a lot of trouble and danger as well. Uh, my title for the message today was... Uh, <laughs> buried it here. I'm under the music. There we go. So my title for the message today was a time to speak and a time to be silent. Um, the reason why I chose that title is I think very often uh, it can be difficult to share um, our testimonies. Sometimes, sometimes we can be in situations like Paul was in here where we know we have a hostile audience. Um, or sometimes we maybe we're in a situation where we just know the people, um, you know, like when Jonah went to Nineveh. Maybe it's a, it's a people that are really difficult. Um, and I know sometimes people are afraid. Christ, Christians can be afraid to go into to locations like that, right? Like location of danger. Um, a location where, where things might not go. The people that are very different. Um, but one of the things that I really appreciate about uh, the Apostle Paul especially is that he understood when it was time to speak. Um, 
he understood that uh, his life um, received its value from the Lord. Often he, entrust, he was entrusting himself just as Jesus did. He's entrusting himself to the one who judges justly, entrusting himself to his father. Um, and so we see Paul doing that as well. In Philippians uh, chapter 3, I would like to, to look at that passage just a moment. And uh, just a few verses here in Philippians chapter 3. Okay. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14. So Paul is, Paul is talking about becoming perfect. Um, you know, he talks about some of his, you know, his sufferings and things like that. Um, you know, that he's partaking in the sufferings uh, the, of Christ. And then he says, not that I've already obtained or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider myself um, to have made it on my own, but the one thing I do is I forget what lies behind and I strain toward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Uh, Paul had a maturity about his ministry that, that Jonah was, was sadly missing. Right? He, he had a maturity about his ministry. He had an understanding that when, when God speaks to him, uh, because God did, God told him to go. We, we've already read in previous chapters, God said go. And he compelled him to go, and he even told him. Um, and Paul said, in all the cities I go to, God is telling me, the Spirit is telling me that this is what's going to happen. They're going to they're bind me. I'm going to be bound at the hand of the Jews. I'm going to be handed over. You know, all, all these things, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, he, he doesn't know, what, you know the situation. Um, but he didn't count his life dear to himself. Because he, he had a goal, and his goal was the likeness of Christ. And when we see Christ, um, another ra- reason why I, I chose this title, To Be Silent, when we see Christ, when, when it came time for him to, to go to trial, uh, he was first before the Sanhedrin, um, before Herod as well, and then before Pontius Pilate. Um, we see the silence. The silence is, is something that stands out so greatly there. So all these people are coming to accuse him when he's before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish people. And they're accusing him all, of all kinds of things and their testimonies not agreeing with each other. And, and he doesn't answer any of these things. He's, he's, not, he's not defending himself. And then they finally say, tell us plainly, you know, are, are you the Christ? Are you, are you the Son of God? And he says, I am, right? And so then they use that. They say, okay, now, now we've got him. But they, but they can't do anything to him legally. So then they take him for the trial before Pilate. And Pilate's wife is warned in the dream, you know, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. And uh, so, so Pilate comes out and he's like, I don't, want to, I don't want to do anything to this man. You know, I don't, I don't want to, to see him harmed. And so he starts to talk to him and, and Jesus is silent again. And Pilate's like, don't you know I have the power, you know, to, to give you life, to free you? Um, and, and Jesus then, then responded, you wouldn't have any authority if it wasn't given you from above. And at this point, Pilate gets even more frantic and wanting to free him, but he, but he, he doesn't really find a way. Um, he could have just chose to do it, right? I mean, he had the authority. 
but he's, try, he's trying to, to engineer the whole thing to keep himself, to keep himself uh, out of trouble. And he, do, he doesn't find that answer. But when we see Jesus do that, um, when we see him go there and do that, you know, that, that was fulfilling scripture. You know, he, he was silent like a sheep before its shearers. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Um, you know, when they, when they were speaking out, uh, you know, it talks about this in Peter. You know, when they were accusing him of all these false things, he, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Um, there's a power in that silence. Um, there's a time, I, I think, to speak and a time to be silent. And uh, I think we can only discern that when the Lord is, is, is showing us. Um, one, one of my favorite uh, stories, and it's, it's not necessarily a, a heartwarming or a great story, but it's a story of uh, Charles Spurgeon. Um, near the end of his time of ministry, he was a, a Baptist minister in England. Near the time of his ministry, there was a controversy that was taking place in, in the church. And he had been writing about it. Um, it was called the downgrade controversy. And there were, there were some things that were coming into the church. Um, and, he, and he was trying to address those things. And at a certain point, he started getting pushback. Pe- people started denying it. They're saying, well, none of this is going on. And uh, Spurgeon hadn't been naming any names. He wasn't saying, okay, this pastor of this church over here is saying this, and, and this missionary over here, he's saying that. And, you know, he, he wasn't doing that. He was trying to address the issue, you know, through, through his writing without, uh, without specifically naming people. And so it got to such a point where they started accusing him of, of falsehood, of lying about this, of making the whole thing up. And, uh, and he never named names in, in his lifetime. Eventually, some of the names came out, you know, through, through others af- after his death. Um, but one of the things I appreciated the most about him was uh, they said the reason he didn't do it was because he, he was never given permission to share those things. Right? He, he knew in confidence. He had relationships with other pastors, relationships with people. And, uh, and so he, he didn't want to speak out against them um, you know, and name their names because of that. He was, he was protecting them. Even, even though they were wrong, um, he, was, he was protecting them. And uh, there's a, such a level of integrity there. And uh, when we see uh, the life of Paul here, we see it, such a level of integrity his care and concern for the Jewish people not wanting them to get into trouble, uh, even though they're trying to hurt him. Um, he, he doesn't want to throw them under the bus. Um, we, we see that with the Romans. You know, he's, in a sense, protecting them as well, um, although I'm sure he doesn't want to get whipped. Um, we see over and over again, Paul, Paul talks about that sort of thing. You know, doing all things, you know, uh, in, a, in a manner that's worthy, you know, of, of the Lord. And uh, it's such a challenge to me. Um, I, have, I haven't had uh, so much experience with, with, with something like Spurgeon experienced or with Paul who was, who was accused of things here that he, that he wasn't guilty of as well. Um, I haven't had so much experience with that. Um, but uh, the, the experience that I have had with it is that you can trust the Lord in these circumstances. Trust the Lord to, to be your defense Trust the Lord to be the one who, who's, who's going to speak for you. Um, and just allow the circumstances to take place the way they do. Um, this passage, uh, 
was, was really interesting to me to develop. I had so many thoughts. Uh, I was sharing with John earlier. Last night I was laying awake, and I, uh, I woke up at like 1.30 in the morning, and I'm, I'm laying awake, and I'm like running through all of these thoughts. I could have done like 15 different messages today because it kept changing, right, which made it a little bit difficult to make my notes but, uh, in, the, in the past weeks because this has been taking place for a while. But uh, one of the things I love about the, the, the Word of God is he's able to speak to us so clearly um, about the direction that he wants us, wants us to go in. Sometimes it's very clear, like when he tells you to go somewhere, like when he told Paul to go or when he told Jonah to go. You know, and sometimes it's not as clear, but when it's not clear, we have so many principles uh, in Scripture. And, uh, and I just wanted to share that uh, kind of as a closing thing. You know, that as, as we, we live our lives, you know, take the opportunities to consider our words, to, to weigh our words, to consider the, their impact. Um, you know, Jonah's words impacted the people kind of begrudgingly, but they impacted the people greatly when he finally got there because he finally went there and spoke, right? And what a transformation of the city. Uh, Paul's words were impacting people continuously, even his, his testimony before the people here. And he's going to have further testimony as well before the same group of people. So I just encourage you in that, to, to weigh your words, to consider, to consider your words, and to trust the Lord to give you the right words. He promises when we're in difficult situations, you know, that, that he will give us the words to speak in those situations. And, uh, yeah, so be encouraged by Paul. Be encouraged by the fact that when uh, that passage in Philippians that I read, um, it's one of my favorite passages, but Paul talks about reaching, reaching out to grasp hold of that for which God in Christ Jesus has grasped hold of me. And it's, it's this picture of, you know, you're, you're stretching out for the, for the finish, right? Paul, Paul was going for the finish line, right? The perfection of Christ. He hadn't gotten there yet. Um, but at the same time, God was, was grabbing hold of him. God had a hold of his life, and he has a hold, hold of all believers' lives. Um, he's going to accomplish that in our lives. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you with that. So just to trust him daily, to trust him with, with your words, with your interactions with people.